Hi, uh, you're about to listen to the first official episode of the Tribute Games uh, podcast. Uh, my name is Yannick Belzil. I run the social media at Tribute Games. I'm also a writer on uh, the games such as Mercenary Kings and the upcoming Curses and Chaos. In front of me, there's uh, Justin Sear. Hello. Hi. So, uh, we just... Uh, Justin, like, why are we making a podcast? Like, where does it come from? Like, Well, we basically just talk about video games all the time, mm -hmm. and we listen to a lot of podcasts, and we wondered, well, is this worth, worthy of making a podcast? And hanging out with uh, Carl Kirschel, who works upstairs at uh, Studio Lunac, mm -hmm. said, I'd listen to this, and we figured, yeah, why not? Let's do this. You want to, what is a Tribute Games? So Tribute Games is uh, 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 an independent game studio where we're working in Montreal. Uh, we've been in existence for like two, three years. Three years. Three years. And uh, we're all people who met up at different game companies in here in Montreal uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, everyone wanted to make their own games, but uh, the industry would not permit it. <laughs> so uh, we, so everyone decided to uh, eventually leave uh, the big corporate uh, giants and uh, make our own little uh, workshop of video games. Yeah, like the namesake says, we just want to pay tribute to the games that were made back in the day and put our own spin on it. Yeah. So uh, and working there, we just keep talking about games and thinking about how to make games and one thing we've thought a lot is how uh, of making video games seemed so remote and far away and foreign for us when we were kids so we decided to make something uh, that maybe a, a younger person who might want to get into video games could listen to have an idea uh, have an idea of how it is working here and what kind of discussions we have and uh, sometimes there'll be like great meaningful content about indie game developing sometimes it's just going to be about a pokemon and uh, dungeons and dragons which is sometimes meaningful too yeah and both can be meaningful so uh, that's pretty much it so and uh, we hope you enjoy it yeah to my left there is uh, our game designer dominic known as dum2d hi hi dominic <laughs> What am I supposed to say now? Have you been playing anything cool this week? Yeah, I just started playing Dungeons and Dragons again. Yeah. After ten years of uh, hiatus. On paper. Uh, yeah. On paper. paper Dungeons. Yeah. yeah. With, what are your uh, dice like? What kind of dice have you got? A uh, bunch of dice. Because I, I, I'm playing with one dude that has played before, so he has a like a ton of all all the colors you can imagine. Say a color. Um. Well, actually, I had some. I, I found my old dice bag recently when I was cleaning out my uh, my closet for my in my parents' house. And I had multicolored dice. Like, they were dice that were looked like they were injected into the mold, like several colors. Yes. It was like a weird pastel-y swirl of colors. They weren't my favorite ones. My favorite ones were like a clear kind of translucent blue dice. <laughs> But I took great pleasure in doing the little crayon thing. I, did, you ever, did you have the basics? Uh, who are you, Dice? Oh, I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons here. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm Carl Kershaw. I'm... Uh, From upstairs, and of course, not, not like, <laughs> not like a Michael Landon Highway to Heaven way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm from the studio upstairs. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a comic book artist. Yeah, I'm just here hanging out. Yeah, yeah. and talking about. Yeah, please keep going on. With I don't know. It's fine. Do you have any creepy like made from from ivory or? Dice? Yeah. No, no, I don't have any ivory dice. I don't have that many dice. It sounds like I've got a lot, but I, I don't know. Well, um, I played Dungeons and Dragons back in the day, and if you had to roll something like a hundred, you just use two die ten. Yeah. 
Someone got me a hundred-sided dice, mm-hmm. and it's just like a golf ball. Yeah, yes. my friend had one of those. <laughs> and it's it with stuff. Yeah, you just roll it, and it's like duck, 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 duck. It didn't duck, really duck. have sides so much as divots. Divots, right? yeah, exactly. Sphere. Yeah, it was more fun just to wait for it to watch to stop and be like, "Well, got to do something." Now. Yeah. And who are you, Mister High Roller, with these <laughs> giant dice? Literally, um, Justin Sear. I work at Tribute Games with uh, Yannick and Dum Dirty, and we've also got Steph here. Steph is in the background. He's, he interjects. He's uh, one of our artists. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So we're a great portion of Tribute Games right here at the table. And yeah. this is not a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons. It's just what it happens just, when it I just played that. It started like that. So yeah, I'm asking around with people who play, play anything. anything good. Yeah. That was the question. Dungeons and Dragons is actually pretty good now. Because it's uh it's the new starter set uh for for fifth edition. Yeah, it's Wizards now, right? They own it. It's always been Wizards. Oh, before TSR? Wizards existed, it was like it was old TSR. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, my my first D and D set was like the the red box basic set. Second edition. It, yeah, and it was is it second. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it came with it was like a basic starter set, and it came with like a couple of red books, like to like a manual yep. and like a module maybe. And a set of red dice and the white crayon that you have to use to to color in the uh, the wax on your wow. numbers on your. But that's numbers. pretty much what it is now. It's a just a single box for like twenty twenty five bucks, and you get uh, a basic rule book that is really good enough to play, which is weird because usually it's like three big huge books at fifty bucks each. You get a module for level one to five and uh, pre generated characters. So when we started playing on Sunday, we started right away. Like I tr- I let them choose which character they wanted from the the five pregens and we just started, which was amazing because before it was like have to create your characters takes like 3 hours explain all what yeah yeah you meet or or you send it by email and then you hope that they actually do their characters before they come but did some one of them don't the sounds good. Uh but yeah, so we just started right away and the uh the starter set is it started starts basically as a tutorial because it's it throws you right away into uh, a small battle that's super simple. Everybody gets to learn how to throw dice, how to do attacks, and then you move on to uh, a little dungeon that has more like uh, skill checks and everything. It's 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 perfect. And it was amazing to get back into that. You, so you played before, right? I played lots of times when I was younger. Not in a long, long time. But that was my intro to role-playing games. And when you played this time, you were Dungeon Master? Yeah, I've kind of always been Dungeon Master. Uh as a game designer, it's it's really, it's a set of skills that is shared between the two. Like being a master helps your game design skills. Yeah. Being a game designer helps. Yeah, it's probably fun to just like watch people and see what they react to and kind of take mental notes and be like, oh, more of this for future games and stuff. Yeah, totally. And and storytelling and freedom in, in, in games and everything. But the, the other side also helps. Like I know how to balance a game mm. so I can make it interesting and hard for them, but not too hard that they're frustrated so it's super fun would you say what's the one thing you say that it's taught you more than anything about game design it's what being a dungeon master has it taught you any one thing or uh that's a good question i guess uh pacing because pacing in a in a dnd game is really important because you set up one game a week or one game every two weeks and you have three hours and Ideally, it would have like a little bit of combat, a little bit of roleplay, a little bit of everything. So you kind of want to do and and a, a good challenge curve also. So it's kind of like level design or game design. So yeah, well, I'll probably talk about it uh, more as as we go on because it's, it's very deep subject. It's a very deep subject, but also it's such good game design because mm. they they cleared it up, they cleaned it up, they made it super accessible to. So so in in older editions, you had to refer to the the books the player's handbook or the Dungeon Master's Guide all the time. 
if you needed to uh, jump over a gap and you needed to calculate your weight compared to the speed you go and then so it, it was a bunch of charts and lots of math yeah now it's all like simple rolls like it's uh, an athletic roll which is uh, based on your strength you roll a d20 you add your athletics and if it's higher than i don't know 10 you you make it like okay. it's it's super simple uh for the master and for the players yes yes Justin, <laughs> uh what have you been playing this week uh this Any week goal? i finished pokemon pokemon x i love how you say pokemon pokemon yeah it's uh, it's awesome like i mean i started it last week and <laughs> It's <laughs> yeah, it's your first Pokemon game ever, right? Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's the first one I've actually invested more than like an hour into, and uh, it's uh, thirty-three hours total. So it's like a second job <laughs> if you if you stack it, bookended it. Thirty-three hours is basically a second job, but uh, this week, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I actually had a really awful week this week. Because from our, our last recording session, I had just started to have computer problems, and I think I'm fully functional just today. So it was a week of watching progress bars and having your hopes dashed. Almost so there. Almost there, yeah, for like a week. So I had a lot of downtime at work, and uh, that was put towards playing Pokemon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I don't know, like it... And the game got really good after you finished it because there's a lot of hand holding. That sounds. But that's how a lot of games are made these days because there's a lot of like what they call end game. So like once you finish it, you're sort of given all the tools at your disposal because you know there's 700 of these buggers to get, and like I haven't even tipped the iceberg on it. So. Uh, What's your goal with it? I mean, is your goal to actually collect all these Pokemon, or is it just to, is it story based, or is it just is it mechanics? You just like the combat. Like, I it? think it's like on sort of two tiers. Like, if you want to just sort of like finish it and say you, you're done, there's that. There's a story, but if you want to have like a more sort of complete, I think it's to collect them all. But really, I think it's more about like like honing your team and making sort of this elite team of six Pokemon. So we we tried a couple battles. Like, it's been one battle a day for the past two days. Yep. I thought it was kind of cool, like, to, to have this challenge of challenging you every day. But last night I came home, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, I'm going to try to figure out a team to beat Justin. <laughs> I took a bunch of Pokemon, and I was like, okay, maybe I could use this guy. He's level 10, but I could probably raise him up. And then 30, this guy's 30, I'll, I'll raise him up. So I went into a bunch of grass and I fought two battles and I was like, "Fuck this!" <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. That's the only really guys. effective way to raise them is just take them out and fight them right in the wild. Yeah, just make them fight. You them. also just like feed them all sorts of nonsense no. and like breed them. And well, you can yeah. feed them candy, but they're like. I well, I don't know. I'm 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 hoping we'll have a few more battles, but it's it's turning out to be a much more fun game now that it's kind of done. And, uh, yeah, like, it's, it's weird to say, but I think that's, that's how a lot of people go about it, too. No, but if you find, if you find a good one that's level 30 in the Safari or something, sure. Uh, are you gonna spend the hours that it takes to raise him up to level 50 to do battles with? Uh, I, I, I had, like, see, I got a guy yesterday and he was 40, and I just, you know, you go to the net. That's the other thing I'm finding is you have to do, like, you almost have to learn it like a discipline. Like, there's so much information and, like, memorization about, like, what's weak against what. Yeah. And I guess that's why it's, like, really aimed towards kids, because it seems almost academic. Mm-hmm. And well, I think it was when it started. And then, like, as as they as they evolve, yeah. <laughs> oh. um, 
Uh, I mean, I remember looking at some charts, mm. or, you know, like a like strength weakness charts, and the chart is crazy. Like, yeah. there's, there's so many categories and stuff, and it doesn't always make sense the way you think it would. It's not like a you know fire, water, earth kind of. Thing. Yeah. All right. Quick question, Yannick, what's your favorite Pokemon? Macho, because it looks like a tiny wrestler, and I like that. It's a good one. Carl, what's your favorite oh, Pokemon? Snorlax, nice. hands down. Yeah. Uh, Aegislash? Aegislash, the one with the, the swords. Swords, yeah, he's yeah. cool. That's cool. I realize that mine is Dublade, the previous evolution ah. from Aegislash, because he doesn't have a shield. Right on. Yeah. Well, well, well there's also the, the, the key ones, just a set of keys. Right. It's a Pokemon. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> Yeah, they're kind of out to lunch on that one, maybe. Well, you know, when you have designed like 700 cute creatures, eventually, like, like a bum one will get through. Like, <laughs> this one is Keytor. It's he has keys. Yeah. It's a pile of keys. Well, Mr. Mime, I think, is the worst Pokemon, right? <laughs> really? Yeah. I believe so. Have you seen Mr. Mime? I'm, I have not. Okay, well. It's very unappealing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of creepy. He looks like He looks like a weird, stunted human mime. Ugh. Yeah. Well, I can segue from Pokemon a bit because I've been playing. Nino Kuni, um, and it's got kind of like a weird Pokemon element to it in that it's um, it's like a super straight up JRPG. Um, you guys have played any played it? Nope, not yet. Um, I played a little bit. Yeah, so it's straight JRPG except with amazing like Studio Ghibli level five design and art. Really good story, way better story than I'm accustomed to. Like I grew up playing a lot of Final Fantasy, um, and those are good. And this is this feels like the whole package in terms of you know, using a fun kind of all-ages story to carry you through the, the different stages of your standard JRPG. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of grinding, but they don't really... It doesn't feel... Imposed? Well, it's it doesn't feel superimposed, but it also isn't really tedious yet. Hmm. Like, it's kind of... It's kind of paced well enough that it's not annoying me yet. But it's the whole thing is based on... You're playing this kid who's like a wizard in this other world, but uh, it's all familiar based. So you've got like they they give you these little creatures to start out with, and they're kind of doing all the fighting for you. And you have to level them up by giving them goodies and taking them out to fight. And then it turns out I just hit the point where you can now start capturing creatures in the field. Oh wow! Yeah. So you can collect. I don't even know how many there are. Must be probably hundreds. Is there there, something? There's a lot. Go ahead. If, if you uh, if you look in the book that comes with it, there's uh, that's my favorite part of the book because it's just page after page yeah, after creature page of creatures and creatures variants also. Like yeah, yeah. I think they can evolve or something. Yeah, yeah. they evolve also. I don't know. Yeah. I think I evolved one now because like the, the part of the story point was this guy you know, basically teaching that they can evolve and kind of giving you a freebie. Yeah, you know, but the, the funny thing is, uh, as great as the designs are, and as as sort of simple and appealing as the mechanic is, like. That at that point, I started to feel overwhelmed. Mm. Like I was happy to kind of play through this fun Ghibli mm. movie slash game, and now I'm like, oh god, no! Like oh, I'm not just no, fighting it's Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm happy that it's Pokemon, but it's also like it's too much. Like I'm now overwhelmed by stuff to do, and because I'm sort of a weird completionist, like not only do I want to do like every little side quest and mission that I get in like the local taverns or whatever, but now I've got to worry about. You know, capturing every all, one yeah. of these stupid monsters, <laughs> and it's not something like I was playing it really casually. Like I was like just kind of enjoying it, and being like, and now okay. it's forcing you to not play it casually. Exactly, it's yeah. drawing you in. Yeah, it's forcing me. It's not yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> it's the game. <laughs> I read something about the story of that game, and I don't know if any of it's like revealed at the start. But isn't it kind of dark? It's pretty dark. Yeah. yeah, it's like starts basically with this little kid whose mother dies, wow. and you're going to you kind of have to try to save her by 
rescuing her kind of alternate self from this other world. Whoa. So I don't know, like, for all I know, that's a complete sham. Like, maybe that mother's, it's a Ghibli thing, so that yeah. mother's probably not coming back. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but I'm sure there'll be some satisfying, cathartic conclusion at the end of it. I watched it on YouTube. You I watched, watched the ending? <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, I, was, I was never going to play it. It's really game. long. It's like 60 plus hours or 90 maybe. I don't it, know if I'll ever get through it. It's something I found out through uh, Tumblr, too. There are people who just watch games instead of playing them. Like, I guess some people, like, just... All of the cutscenes from, say, the, the Uncharted series are all cut together as a tiny movie or maybe a big movie, and that's those people do not play the games, but they just watch the characters going through. They make fat, awesome fan art out of it. It's yeah. all they need. I, I kind of see. That. I mean, like, isn't is it any different from like sitting on the couch while your friend plays a game yeah, and watching, it, which I yeah. love doing. Yeah. I I never played Chrono Trigger completely by mm -hmm. myself, but I watched 40-something hours of Giant Bomb people playing Chrono Trigger to completion, and I can say that I love that game, even if I haven't <laughs> played it. But I mean, like, even some games have... I don't know if it's exactly that, but, like, Metal Gear Solid 4 had, I think, more cutscenes than actual gameplay. <laughs> watching more than playing. Right, and, and for a lot of people, they just want to see the story anyway, mm -hmm. so it's like, yeah, why not? That actually makes a lot of sense. I started doing it with the uh, X-Files uh, CD-ROM game that they <laughs> did like a, a couple of uh, years ago. Like They actually filmed it with uh, David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. And I played it a bit back then and I would get chills when I got to meet Scully because I was finally talking to her and it was great. <laughs> you right nerd. Now, I, and the cool thing about it is that it has an alternate ending. So the, there are endings where Mulder and Scully die <laughs> in, in, the, in the game. So you get to see... You see scenes of uh, Mulder's funeral with Jim yes. Anderson putting uh, uh, sunflower seeds on, on his coffin. And it's extremely moving, but it's not in real X-Files continuity, but you get to see it. Oh, wait, so when, it. when you're game over, it takes like 10 minutes because you have to go to the funeral, and then it, it just it, it, it cuts to it, and it shows you when <laughs> okay. you, you, you see it. It's a, it's a sad scene, and it's uh, and the executive producer, Chris Carter, ends exactly the way an episode would, but now the heroes are dead. Hmm. Ten minutes is not a big commitment if you've sat through the Metal Gear Solid 4. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's... Talking about recording, and this probably ages us a lot, did you ever, like, VHS record any of your playthroughs when you were a kid? No, what I did with the uh, animations I made in Mario Paint. <laughs> like, when you... Uh, I, I, for a while, like, Nintendo Power had this, uh, this uh, booklet that showed you how to... Kids... Uh, Mario Paint was this game where for the Super <laughs> Nintendo where you they, they sell it with a mouse and you plugged it and you you, you plug things in back then and you could plug it into your Super Nintendo and you could make music you can draw and you could animate stuff up to nine frames up to nine frames and I remember doing like a, a Zelda a, a Zelda dungeon with Link fights and then Nintendo Power showed you how to make a Zelda team so I would write it on, uh, on Mario Paint and uh, just record that and it was pretty cool. You know who actually I think learned how to animate from Mario Paint was Schmorky, the guy who does all the animations on the... Something awful? Yeah, the Flash Tub. Yeah. And he describes how like that's how we learned to draw was like through a mouse and he's not given up on that sense. And he says like for him he kind of grew up poor and that was like his only kind of form of entertainment. It's a pretty cheap computer, if you think about <laughs> if you it. Think and, 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 uh, Photoshop-ish 
software. It's pretty cheap, and you could save things on it, and you could record them. And I, I think I remember doing my first real uh, pixel sprite drawings to that because you could uh, make stamps. Yeah, you could make stamps, and those were pic- those were like pixels. So you, you could uh, make it. I think that's where I did my first real sprites as a kid. I think they're due for making a sequel, wouldn't you think? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I hope. So. I hope especially, they will. Especially with the Wii U pad, it would be like obvious. oh man. Yeah. Nice. All this stuff is kind of an, it's an interesting window into your. Uh, well, really, the beginnings of getting into game design. Yeah, for sure. Being able to draw something and have it get on the TV felt so real, and that's as closest uh, as I'll ever get to make a video game or stuff like that. That was really <laughs> powerful back then. I remember, like, a, if only I had YouTube back then, it would be safe for <laughs> prosperity. You know what's in the... Oh, go ahead. still feels uh, kind of like that, even now, when I display stuff, I drew... I drew. On the TV, mm-hmm. it has this kind of weird, nice feeling. <laughs> it's more official now. Yeah, it's on the it's TV. On the TV. <laughs> it's realer. I felt that same thing while I was tinkering with um, with uh, Xcode and some like game making apps for the Mac, and like it'll let you dump the stuff out to your iPhone. Mm-hmm. And like something I made is now like I'm moving it around on the iPhone. It felt like it's like oh. magic. You know? yeah. it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Everything is so accessible now. It's such an amazing time to be doing anything creative. Because I think I think it's also about motivation. Like the the kids these days are not alone in their basements, like being the only artist they know. Like they know that it's something you can do, and they know it's something you can strive for. Yeah, and all the tools. Like again, like getting like a a Wacom tablet when I was in college. Like you had to really save up for yeah. it. Like mm-hmm. I remember like paying like six hundred dollars for like a. Three by four surface uh, of live surface on the tablet, and I took that thing everywhere with me, and I used it for years, and it was great. Now that size, like you could steal it at Future Shop, and they would not—they would let you go with it because they're like, take it. Probably find one on the street. Somewhere. Exactly, <laughs> like it, like in Transcendence, it just props up the door or right. something. Um, I remember when I had my first job out of, uh, or between the first and second year of animation. Uh, I had saved up enough money where I could actually like afford some pretty decent gear, and a friend got me thinking like you should buy Photoshop. It's legit, and you'll use it all your life. So I actually bought my first version of Photoshop. Which one? Photoshop Six. Hmm, this is like 1999 or 2000. Photoshop Six. Yeah. Is that like well, pre CS? Okay. It's just so they were number. How, how far did the numbering go before they got to? The I think CS? it was like six. six? Yeah. Okay. yeah but it was still like you know upwards of five or six hundred dollars and i'm just this schmuck kid walking into a place and of course you get no service everyone's like trying to sell a high-end computer and stuff so one other schmuck who's working there he's like yeah can i help you with anything and yeah i'm gonna buy photoshop and then everyone's like they they look at me and i'm like yeah i'm a high roller (laughs) just you know and that guy and when i went back to that store he was like so grateful because I think he got like a huge commission yeah. off that one sale. He was just like, "Dude, you're like the best." Like, oh. you <laughs> Can I sell you another? Yeah. So yeah, it's it's fun though. I mean, uh, where do we go from here? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> is, that like a, is that a life question? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess it's uh, what's uh, within yourself, uh, what you want in life, uh, what you see in others. You want to be part yeah. of the community. You want to go live alone. <laughs> but we can also go to questions and topics uh, people have sent us uh, from Twitter because I asked for some yesterday. Uh, so now we uh, we just took a, a, a short break to properly mic uh, Stefan. So yeah. Say hello, Stefan. I mean, I'll surround. Yes. Surround. Finally. Surrounded. 
good. Bye, yes. idiots. <laughs> so uh, I thought I'd go with uh, questions and topics we got sent on Twitter uh, yesterday. We had a lot of good questions and ideas, so uh, we just use it for discussion fodder and stuff like that. One question that we had from uh, uh, Samuel Tinker, who's at, at Dark Astronomy, asked us if uh, we think that the retro style games and uh, retro gaming in general is hurting modern games or helping it evolve. So uh, what do you guys think about it? I think it's great. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think it's hurting it at all. I think it's nice that the two things coexist. I'm always kind of amazed that people feel like they have to be so partisan. It's like, this is good and that sucks. It's like, no, both things can coexist and it's great. So It's like preferring like one sport over another. They're just two sports existing. Like, yeah. The only thing they have in common might be that they're played in a stadium, but otherwise it's, it's the same. Like, yeah. But it's it's really two questions though. It's it's a retro style game. So the games like Tribute Mate. Sure. Uh, so yeah, that's good because like it's variety. Like it's compared to the the new 3D AAA games. But the other part of the question is retro gaming in general. Like mm. that's kind of a competition that's really hard to uh, to go against in my in my mind. Like you're when you release a game, you're since all the other games are are available for for all the games that have been released in like the past what 30 years now. Mm. You're competing with all of it now. You're always fighting. The uh, retro gaming is always there because it's, it keeps existing. Yeah, if you look at the, I think I've seen the charts for uh, the 3DS eShop for the, the past month, and uh, Metroid on the NES was above Shovel Knight. Oh, wow. So you can see how it, it is a competition. In a way. Yeah, but uh, there's also the fact that Nintendo promotes their own products way over anything else. So, so then, then it is... The retro gaming is uh, a problem in a way. It's not. I mean, I I'm only playing Devil's Devil's Advocate because we play retro games all the time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's not really a problem. It's more like a filter. She can't beat the. the... No, but that that's the, what he's saying is true. Is Nintendo <coughs> on the eShop? There's like uh, like maybe ten categories, and eight of them are like their own games or retro games, and then there's the one section that has Shovel Knight. Like it's I don't know. It's kind of unfair. Yeah, I think it's akin to the uh, people talking about uh, remakes and sequels uh, in the movie theaters. Well, people still uh, people are going to see these movies and people are buying these games. Yep. So people want to play these things, so they still get uh, sold and they still get downloaded and they're still active because of that. So I guess the one thing I'll just end with that too is, I guess. For retro gaming, I'm glad that there's like a legitimacy to it now. Like people used to think, oh, you're just doing it because you're nostalgic. Yes, that's one part of it, but it's kind of like an art form into itself now. People do it just for stylistic reasons. Like I like the 8-bit look or 16-bit look or whatever, just some um, tendencies from those old games. You can do it just because you want to, not because you, you're you committed. Know. Yeah, it's, it's, for us, I guess it, it's a specific art choice because that's what we like and it's it's fun and it's... Uh, Uh, it's where our yeah, our roots are as an industry, but also like uh, we all started. Or a lot of us at, at Tribute, we started at the game loft at a in the in the pre-smartphone era. So we would work on games, and we made this platformers with sprites and stuff like that. And that's what we've been trained on, and that's what we actually like. So we keep doing those. It's not about yeah. really cashing but, in on a trend. Or but Tribute is also kind of pushing games a little bit further than what they were like in some directions like um some games are, are being limited by that like we played jet gunner uh, mm -hmm. this week and uh, jet gunner is an indie it's probably made by one dude or two dudes uh, uh or girls i don't know 
uh, it's a, a platformer, like a bit like has the controls of Contra or or like Shadow a Man. Natsume game. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you just run around and you shoot and you have a jetpack and that's the thing. But it's it's like super small resolution, like four colors or uh, sixteen colors on screen. And it has the same uh, tropes of like you have lives and there are some bits that are really too hard, like platforming bits, but like like the good old NES games, like Ninja Gaiden or something, where right. you get hit by an enemy and you fight, you fall into the hole. And it's completely unfair. Yeah, you're fighting in these industrial cyber levels that are like Shatterhand and yeah. uh, stuff like that. What were what were the the levels that we fought in? Oh yeah, like we were trying to guess like what would they be, and we were pretty spot on. It was like city, uh, factory. And airship. Uh, airship. <laughs> yeah, so all the... It was, but, it was a bit too limited by the retro styling. But the, the other fun thing about retro gaming, too, is, like, you can just pick an aspect of retro gaming. Like, I'm not annoyed, but, like, when people are too much of a purist, they want to replicate exactly, like, what an NES or Game Boy or whatever kind of game is. There's a challenge to that, but I think it's fun to just pick and choose the things you want. Like, you can just do, like, level design, like an old-school game, or you can just pick, like, a palette limitation, but go nuts with maybe the frame count or something. So I, I think, personally, I see it's more fun to mix and match aspects of retro gaming, yeah. but not adhere to them like a, a rigid rule. If Or do it if you want. You know, it's fun to have the whole... Spectrum. That's kind of what you're doing in Curses and Chaos, right? Yeah. Like uh, the the characters are what four colors? Well, yeah, I'm trying to keep it down to to about like three colors and a transparency and uh, like a sixteen by sixteen uh, resolution per yeah. sprite. But we're going hog wild with the frame count and, and, and the backgrounds and the backgrounds. Yes, but Stefan is doing amazing backgrounds for Curses. But then he and, and it was fun because with the backgrounds he started off with a much broader uh, palette and then just kept chiseling it down, chiseling it down, and by the end, how many colors? 16? 16 by... in every level? Yeah. And then I have, like, 32 for the whole game. There's 32 colors for the whole... <laughs> for the whole backgrounds for, for the whole game, so... It doesn't show that much, like, it's pretty colorful for... It's masterful, so... Uh, actually, they, at Jelly Scared, uh, since we're in the pixel art uh, discussion, like, ask us, like, what is the best... Uh, the, what is the best pixel art ever? Like, uh, what is the strongest uh, memorable pixel art you've seen in games? Wow. <laughs> I'm. I mean, I was not working for for you guys at that time, but uh, I think the, the the pixel art in Scott is really amazing in Scott Pilgrim because it's so uh, alive and I don't know, it's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't know much about pixel art when I started uh, back in 2005 uh, on the, the Game Boy Advance team uh, at Ubisoft with uh, Justin and Jonathan. Mm -hmm. So they uh, they pretty much taught me everything. And uh, I think the first thing that really amazed me was actually ball stuff. Mm. And I remember we that was before we met him on Scott Pilgrim. And I, I remember we used some of his stuff. <laughs> we actually use or highly reference some of this stuff on the the turtle game, mm. and so that that's probably the first thing that really amazed me, like in the pixel art form. Yeah. But then there's a lot of really amazing pixel artists out there. So. What about you, Carl? You're the uh, resident artist here. So. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really familiar. I mean, I've seen a lot of pixel art, obviously, but I'd be hard pressed to tell you what. My favorite is. I mean, honestly, like, without without trying to sound like a shill, like, 
the stuff that most impressed me, like the stuff that, that really caught my attention in terms of pixel art was when you guys posted the Kickstarter animation, like the early mm -hmm. animations from Mercenary Kings. So that was Paul. Thought, yeah. yeah, and I yeah. thought, holy shit, that stuff is amazing. It was like the, um, just the silhouettes, like yeah. the silhouettes and the economy of it and the, the animations they were. Like Paul never disappoints. You can just hand him like a sprite and a very sort of basic outline of what you want things to look like. And it's always <laughs> above and beyond the call of duty. And he asks, is this good? It's like, why are you asking me? <laughs> and you know, this is amazing, but, uh, yeah, uh, he's great. You can, and you could say that all of his sprites do have a certain any aesthetic to them. Oh, wow. Well done, sir. Thank there you. There it is for this week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just so we don't only plug our own theme, uh, uh, any other pixel artists that, that you like, Justin? Oh, you're kind of man. I mean, it's... Names. I, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like, I, I wish I would have had that question before the podcast because yeah. there's just too much of it. Uh, I don't know. Like, I, I think the thing I like the best is whenever people use fewer colors and smaller resolution. And I do like the other end of it where people, like, they make just these like huge vistas and you're like wow that's a nice landscape and you're oh no wait that's pixel art that's amazing but i do love it when people like just carve out a, a really well-defined shape block it out with like just beautiful colors and uh, economy of, of pixels i think is the thing i like the best mm -hmm. so like i think a lot of old school stuff like you know nintendo was amazing like yeah there's uh, whoever did uh, were working on the sprites for all that run of uh, uh, disney capcom games oh my god they yeah they were all extremely good they're all tiny cuter Squat versions of uh, of uh, Scrooge McDuck, McDuck Darkwing Duck, of like, yeah, yeah, exactly. They, Chip and Dale made even like cuter, mm -hmm. like, all that stuff. The fact that they could just recreate those characters so uh, small and yeah, and, and adorable. It's great. Yeah, because you have to like rethink about like economy of just silhouette and all the other things that you were talking about. Because you're, you are so limited, you just have to like restrict it to the very simplest. Uh, amount of details that you can so there is an art to it it's 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 really i think the thing i like best is that it's a very sort of uh perfecting uh art style because you are so limited mm -hmm. but in that limitation it's like well i can only move it here or here so you can in a weird sort of way attain a certain amount of perfection and for people that are kind of ocd perfectionists <laughs> it's a really uh, satisfying medium to work in but i just have a name uh, uh joanne vinet uh, yeah. oh yeah uh, who's an awesome like artist i was just think as you guys are talking i'm just wondering do you differentiate pixel art from like say just sprite animation like say, like say like the street fighters mm -hmm. i mean that's technically pixel art yeah. yeah yeah it's just really detailed it like looks like line drawings that someone just drew over I that's mean, exactly what it is it's less it's less about economy and more about um creating fluid animation sure out of pixels not not vectors or whatever right? yeah but i mean even in like some of the, the the street fighter sprites or the earlier ones like the characters although large they're still only about a hundred pixels tall and they're only 16 colors which seems like a lot but in some characters they even have like less than that and so when you see like you just cut it out like limited but color by color you can see like oh wow they really had to think about where they were going to put stuff and again sometimes you'll see if you're lucky they'll show you like what the pre-scan line art looks like 
and the finished product, and you're like, they took some liberties, and they really had to redraw it practically. Yeah. It's almost like uh, the difference between a, a cleanup artist and a rough animation. Uh, to explain the animation process, like at Disney, they'll have someone who roughs out the animation, mm -hmm. and so, like maybe the top guy would be someone like uh, Glenn Keane, who did like all the animation on Tarzan. When you look at his roughs, some of them are just chicken scratches. It's barely a drawing. It's just like silhouettes and just gestures yeah exactly but then the cleanup artist has to go and redraw it and make it look like a, a three they're, yeah. they're like 2d models yeah yeah like you have to have really good draftsman skills you have to like think very three-dimensionally and that's again what you know a lot of pixel artists for those sprites had to do they had to like redraw and rethink but depending on what the level of the original line art was so yeah the, even for large sprites i mean i think it's past a certain point where it becomes something else altogether but even on those large end sprites it's still pixel art so it's fun there's actually like a lot of uh, a lot of spectrum from just within pixel art too so thanks to people who send the topics and questions uh, we have a lot of good ones so we'll save some more for uh, another episode for next week's episode And uh, I think that's how we'll uh, uh, close up this episode for this week. So, uh, guys, uh, where can I, uh, where can people find you on the internet uh, this week? Uh, plug your stuff, your 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 presences. Yeah, look me up on Twitter because that's where I post all my random doodles at uh, Dumb2D. Yep. Okay, uh, on Twitter, uh, Justin underscore Sear, C-Y-R. At Carl Kershaw on Twitter. Yeah, look at his stuff. You have colored panels coming out for your... Uh, yeah, colored for, panels oh, at Gotham so Academy. Yeah. Oh, the more came today. Yeah? Yeah, I'll show you guys. Yes. Stefan is not on the internet. <laughs> he's although, not even here, really. <laughs> he's not really here. Uh, you can uh, find me at Yannick Belzil, but I also run the, the Twitter account for the company, which is... Uh, at Tribute Games and uh, yes if you have any uh, uh, questions or uh, other stuff you want to ask about next time in the uh, upcoming episodes we'll go more into uh, game development and working for uh, like an indie company versus working for a larger company because that's all stuff we did thank you uh, guys thanks for being here and uh, we hope you've enjoyed this first official episode <laughs> of the Tribute Game Podcast and uh, we'll see you, you oh, well we won't see you but you'll hear us next week thank thanks you.